In this week's edition of Agency Unfiltered, we talk to Lara Triazzi, CEO of Market Launcher. We start our conversation with Market Launcher's focus on prospecting and lead development efforts, specifically targeting C-level executives. Lara explains why so many agencies tend to shy away from engaging with the C-suite. And what about the process or maybe the people uh, folks are seemingly afraid of? We talk about the approach other firms need to take for their clients when targeting the C-suite, where and how it intersects with ABM or account-based marketing, and how to best identify when the C-suite is the right point of contact you need to sell into. We then take the conversation over to FANS, or F-A-N-S, or former account new success. Laura's team is intentional about leveraging FANS for new business, and their revenue attribution numbers may surprise you. We discuss Market Launcher's approach and how others can learn to operationalize fans to grow their business as well. Agency Unfiltered, let's jump right in. Laura, hello. Welcome to Agency Unfiltered. Thanks for uh, dialing in. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Um, now, where are you calling in from? Let's get a sense of where you are in the country. Sure. I'm in Orlando, Florida. So you might be able to see sunshine outside my window. I'm a little jealous. Um, that's artificial light because you know it's gloomy in, in the Boston <laughs> area right now. Uh, yes, I am aware. But very jealous. Um, I can imagine you're dealing with some good heat as well. Yeah, wait till um, July, and then we'll talk. Yeah, and then you'll want to know what's going on in Boston, and we'll, we'll trade spaces. Um, exactly. Now, I'm excited to talk to you. Um, I think it's, it's certainly an interesting topic and probably a thing that you and your team do that a number of agencies or service providers or partners uh, seemingly shy away from, and that's engaging directly uh, with the C-suite. Um, and so um, let's take it from you first. I have a whole bunch of questions that I want to get into but first, talk to me about the approach and why and, and why you and your team have seemingly leaned into the C-suite versus uh, avoiding it as, as a scary decision maker for a large company. Sure, sure. I, I think it helps to kind of understand the genesis of why Market Launcher came to be. Um, I actually started the firm 20 years ago. So we've been doing this a really long time. Lots of things have evolved, obviously, over those two decades. Uh, but in the very beginning, the reason I started Market Launcher is because I had helped Inc. roll out their CEO peer group program when they first got it up and running. So we did a national rollout. I put a team together and we literally had to cold call CEOs of mid-sized companies. And people thought we were crazy. They thought it would never work, but it actually ended up being very successful. It turns out you can. <laughs> uh, you just have to be very intentional in your approach. And I'll get into some of the specifics on that here a little bit later. But uh, what ended up happening is after that successful rollout where we had spoken with you know thousands of CEOs across the U.S., all running, you know, mid-sized, successful, fast-growth companies, I kept getting approached by a lot of those same CEOs asking if I would replicate the model. And I realized there clearly seems to be a gap in the market here uh, because you're right. Everyone wants to avoid uh, targeting the C-suite. It seems scary and, 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 it's, and it's hard, uh, but we had built a model that was really effective. And so I decided to start Market Launcher so that we could meet that need in the marketplace. And over time, that has really evolved. But what we've stayed really focused on is um, helping companies that are 
targeting someone who is a very high level decision maker in an organization. So most of our clients have a very complex sale, uh, long sales cycle, you know, very large average deal size. Um, a lot of times there may be somebody in the executive suite who is ultimately making the decision, but there might be lots of stakeholders involved. So we really built Market Launcher to meet that need in the marketplace and have just leaned into it ever since. Well, it seems like with your experience, you were uniquely prepared to do this. Um, and it sounds like you were able to just lean into that un- potential uncomfortability. But real quick, like, why why is that perception that it's something you can't do? You're like, wait, you're crazy. You're cold calling into the C-suite. Like, why does that perception exist? Yeah, so I think it's a couple of things. One, it's hard. Um, you have to do a lot of legwork on the front end. Um, it is not a a you know transactional situation where you write the perfect email or you you know place that phone call and you reach the decision maker right out of the gate none of that happens when you're targeting the c-suite um, or the c-suite equivalent you know for us that can mean a vice president level in a in a fortune 1000 sized company but really kind of up in that executive suite it's really hard and you have to invest a lot more time on the front end making sure that who you're targeting is in fact the true target because the last thing that you want to do is uh, be hitting them with a message that is not relevant. I myself get hundreds of emails every day, all day, uh, trying to sell me things that have nothing to do with what my company does. And, and that's, that's such a waste of effort. And it's, it's more than just a waste of effort. It doesn't give you true insight into how the message is how the market is responding to your message. And so for us, you know, when you're reaching out to the C-suite, what we've learned is that you've got to be really intentional and really relevant. And that takes a lot mm-hmm. of legwork on the front end. So I think that's, you know, kind of one of the biggest reasons why a lot of people shy away from that is they they don't put in that effort on the front end. And so then on the back end, uh, they're misinterpreting the results. Mm-hmm. So the second reason people don't is they just think it won't work. You know, they think you can't get to those people. And and so that's a waste of time. But the reality is you're misinterpreting the data because it's not that transactional. You can immediately see right away what the reaction is going to be. Sure. Um, there, there's a story that I tell sometimes about a, a company that we pursued a few years back. Um, and it was one of those where um, we knew we could help them. They were in an industry that we had a lot of experience they had they were the right size company um they were really poised for growth and they had just brought in a new ceo and and our thought was we know that we this is like the perfect the time boxes. for us to come yep. in yeah yep. so you know we crafted a really really uh, precise voicemail message you know cuz we knew we weren't going to get him on the phone so we right. called we left this message and uh, of course he didn't call us back <laughs> um Unbeknownst to us, he had was on his way to a conference that day and was sitting on a panel where the topic was how to sell to the C-suite. So he actually played our voicemail message at that conference. We didn't really? know any of this yeah. and said, this is the approach that you need to take when you're trying to break into the C-suite. So we didn't know that. But we continued to send him content. You know, we, we would once a month, we were really... You know, we tried to make sure that we kept the cadence, you know, really low key. But once a month, we'd send him a piece of content that we thought was relevant to some things that he knew he was probably trying to do in the organization. And about once every 90 days, we'd try to call him again. And I think we actually reached him a couple times and he'd say, oh, yeah, market launcher. No, I think I do want to talk to you guys. I'll call you back. Because he never, never came. Yeah. <laughs> months went by. And then one day out of the blue, he called us up and said, hey, I'm ready to do something with you guys. I have a project I want you to come in and talk about. And we closed the deal in less than 30 days, but it was a year of 
constant outreach to this individual. And, and I think what's important to note there is that um, he was paying attention and we were educating him. And all of that was because we were being so intentional in the message to him and being very um, aligned with things that we assumed he was probably trying to do in the organization. And that over time had an impression. And if you can invest the time to do that, um, the payoff might come much, much later. But when it does, it comes, you know, quick and it, it comes quick and, and moves forward from there. I mean, is, so you, you said intentional and you said relevant, um, which make a ton of sense. It sounds like there just has to be patience here because you're slow rolling messaging to this CEO and a year later he's ready and he closes immediately based on the conversation is, is that the expectation you need to set with your clients is that you're not, this won't be a quick win type of strategy. You better be prepared to, to keep the ball rolling for, is it a year or, or, you know, longer in some cases, is that, is that tend to be the time frame? Yeah, I mean, sometimes you get lucky. Um, sure. <laughs> you know, certainly uh, you hit somebody at just the right time uh, and you can move that opportunity forward. But in a lot of I think what happens is so many people underestimate how much is happening behind the scenes and, and how much of an impression they might be making and how much they're educating their buyer. And I think especially up in those higher level positions where it's harder to get to the people where there's gatekeepers you got to work your way through or, you know, where they're very quick to disregard, you know, if that message doesn't speak directly to me, delete yep, is, totally. is, you know, the immediate response. Um, and so recognizing that you don't always have full visibility and insight into what's happening on the other side, but as long as you continue to be, you know, really intentional um, and, and relevant, what you're doing is creating trust and adding value at very early stage in the sales cycle. I have two questions that are, are both like, how do you know? And I guess the first, how do you know, is like, how do you know when the C-suite or like the equivalent at whatever this organization is, how do you know the C-suite is the right point of contact you should be reaching out to? You mentioned it's not always the case. So how do you know that? But then how do you know too that the messaging that you're sending that person uh, is relevant uh, and intentional to, to what they're hoping to achieve? You know what I mean? Yeah, so I'll take the first part of that question first. Um, you don't always know that. And one tactic that we often take is we always want to aim a little bit higher than where we think the actual decisions are being made. Um, the reason for that is because you can oftentimes get referred down to yeah. exactly the right person. And I think there's this misconception that, okay, yeah, so you get referred by the CEO. Of course, they're going to take your phone call and take a meeting. That's actually not how it works. Hmm. Um, when you get referred down, what you've actually done is gotten the attention of someone higher up in the organization who has some awareness about where there may be pain or where there is a corporate initiative that may be relevant to the offering mm -hmm. and has taken the time to forward you on to the person in the organization that actually owns vetting opportunities to solve that problem. Yeah. So when that happens, you can really look at that almost as intent data. That, you know, it's not just they were trying to get rid of you, so they referred you to somebody lower down. Most times it's more about, hey, this got my attention, and I know this is a problem we have. Let me send you to Bob, who is in charge of solving that problem. 100%. And yep. when we run the data on that, we exponentially, we, we see exponentially higher conversion metrics on those referrals. And so sometimes we will purposely go higher in, into the organization knowing that it's likely we're going to get referred down. But once we do, very high conversion. Yep. That makes um, a ton of sense. And I've 
I, I doubt it ever happens the other way. Nobody refers a cold email up, you know, so it's, you, you got to shoot lofty and then you're okay <laughs> with the refer down. That makes a ton. Yeah. Of and you'd be surprised. Sometimes we do get referred up. Um, and, and that too is, is some really strong intent data around what might be happening in that organization. Yeah. So what does the discovery process, and this, I guess, is more of like the second half of the question. What's the discovery process look like to start to refine the messaging that's going to be intent and relevant for, for the audience you're targeting? Yeah, and, you know, it really depends on the offering sure. and exactly who you are targeting. Um, we will certainly make some assumptions based on industry and company size and things like, is it a brand new, um, has a new leaner senior leadership team been brought in? Um, have they got funding recently? And you know they're going to be looking to spend in areas where they need to make improvement. Yeah. I mean, there's a really long list of things that you could look at. But we spend a lot of time with our clients in strategy sessions kind of talking through all of that. You know, what would be the things that might trigger a heightened need for your services? And then based on that, let's go try to find out if there's a need there. Um, and, and then the other thing that's been, you know, frankly, tremendous uh, asset is, is HubSpot. I mean, that story that I told about the CEO, we didn't have HubSpot back then. So we didn't know he was opening our emails and downloading our Right, yeah. Imagine papers. how helpful that insight would have been at the time. Sure. Yeah. I think we would have gotten him quicker because we would have been a bit more proactive in our outreach to him, knowing that he was actually engaging with every single piece of content we ever sent him. Yeah, there would have been a lead score that shot through the roof or something like that, right? You would have had some notifications. Exactly. Uh, the bell's ringing. Um, exactly. Another question for you from like a, uh, where, where's the distinction between targeting this C-suite, this high level decision maker? Where's the distinction between that and something like account-based marketing where obviously a lot of your messaging is key roles at organizations? Are they one and the same? Are there just like... What does the Venn diagram look like? You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, that's a great question because uh, we have a joke at Market Launcher that we were doing account-based sales before anybody knew to call it that. Sure. Yeah. Um, and a lot, so they do intersect. I mean, from an account-based marketing, account-based sales perspective, it's all about kind of focusing in on a target account and making sure that all the different ways that you touch them are educating them and kind of taking them through this potential buyer journey, just starting at the very earliest stages of that cycle. And so I think that um, where, where the intersection happens for us in a lot of cases is around the idea that if we start with knowing we've, we're, we're targeting the right people, then everything else after that is true diagnostics. Um, if they're not reacting to our message or if we're getting, you know, a decent reaction, you know, they're opening emails or they're clicking through on links or or they're even taking our phone calls and having conversations, but it doesn't get past that point. Yeah. If we've been targeting the wrong people the whole time, then you can't truly diagnose whether the issue is with the message or with the offering or with timing or all the other things that, you know, impact the sales cycle. So starting with knowing this company is a target account for these reasons. And these are the key people in the company that we think are most likely to at least feel the pain and be an influencer, if not the actual decision maker. Yeah. Then everything else that happens after that is telling you whether what the market appetite truly is. Yeah. It's interesting that just if, if you're not getting a bite, you can't tell with full confidence just like what the variable is. What's like the level of uh, experimentation that comes into it? It's like how frequently do you change the messaging to see if that gets a, a better bite than than what you had been using previously. Is there any level of experimentation to this? Uh, yeah, absolutely. We call it the pivot. 
Oh, it has a label. Um, okay. Yep. Yeah. Yep. We, you got it. Yep. It's time to pivot. Um, if we're pretty sure we've got the right people and, you know, we know the client's got a good offering, then after that, it's about, we got to pivot on the message. We, you know, what, and, and then we'll start to do some A-B testing and we'll look sure. at what are some of the key phrases or key terms. You know, if we put numbers in the email um, that, that show, you know, quantitative results, do those have any kind of impact? So we'll do some A-B testing and kind of look for if we see a shift in traction. If we do that and we still don't see a shift, that's when we start to look at, you know what, maybe these aren't the right people. Um, maybe all of everything that we thought we knew about who's making these buying decisions or who's going to open the door initially to considering looking for a solution to solve a problem, you know, maybe we need to redirect. Sure. And and that happens sometimes. And and so then we'll test, we'll say, let's let's look at a different um, functional area in the organization and let's try this messaging again. And if we get a different reaction, that starts to tell us something. Sure. Yep. Um, that makes a whole lot of sense. Let me, uh, when, let me go to like the, the client side of ownership here. So it's like, if you hook the big fish for one of your clients, is there, how comfortable do they tend to be with like, the the handoff like okay now we'll start to engage them and, and try and close like are you still involved in that process what role do you play uh, do they ever fumble the bag on it uh, what does that look like when you have to loop in the actual <laughs> client now that you've done it for them so it, so assuming none of my clients are actually listening to this yeah, right of now course, um, well, yeah. Well, yeah of course they all do a wonderful job sure <laughs> yep yeah yeah so um so to answer the first part of that question um it varies we have some programs where we stay actively involved all the way through we'll actually attend that initial meeting we'll even do the follow-up and secure kind of that especially in situations where maybe lots of stakeholders are going to be involved in the buying decision yeah. we'll actually help carry that ball forward because sometimes after that first initial meeting or they've done a demo then the next step is to get a bunch of other stakeholders involved so we'll actually do that outreach pull in those additional uh, stakeholders and, and, you know, help move the sales process forward. Um, we also do something called re-engage. And this is something, you know, th this is definitely um, a, a tip for everyone because I, I'm shocked how many organizations don't do this. But you have deals that fall out of your sales funnel at various stages, some really early on, some you get all the way to the end and it goes dark. Uh, our recommendation is always whether market launcher is doing it or you've got a team at the company doing this, put them on a re-engagement cycle. And, and what that means is after a reasonable period of time has gone by, reach back out and try to find out what happened. Um, and a lot of times what you'll find out is, you know, they're still kind of stuck in no decision. They didn't choose your competitor. They didn't decide not to do it. They're just still stuck in that. The, the urgency wasn't there. Yep. But that's a data point that you can now use going forward. So anything that you learn from those conversations, you can now direct back to the top of the sales funnel for every everybody else that you're trying to sell to. But at the same time, you've now kind of opened that door back up again. And so a lot of times we'll do programs where we'll focus on the re-engagement piece. And our goal is, you know, collect that intel, find out what happened. And if there's still an opportunity to move it forward, book another meeting for our client to now come back in there and go to the next phase of the sales process. You know, we're not going to, it's not an introductory meeting at that point. We, you're past discovery. You, you know, you know, there was interest. This is right. more about the timing is right to now get back in there and try to get a decision, a, a decision moved forward because all of us do that. You know, we get excited about something and then, you know, the life gets in the way and 
that momentum is, is lost and most salespeople tend to assume, well, that's history, I'm going to move on, when actually there's a tremendous amount of opportunity sitting there in your dark deal pipeline. And if anything, now that enough time has gone by, maybe there's more urgency because they haven't solved it yet and it's been, I don't know, months or whatever. Is there a rule of thumb? What do you guys use as the, the date to be like, okay, now it's time to, to roll them into to re-engagement? Yeah, it varies a little bit based on the actual length of your sales cycle, but like 90 days is kind of yeah. the most I would say you should wait to reach back out um, and, and certainly not much earlier than 60 days. You, know, you, you got to give it a little bit of time. What you don't want to do is call them and go, oh, I forgot about you guys and I just hired your competitor. <laughs> uh, so you want it to be you know, quick enough that you know, you're staying top of mind, but not so quick that you're just becoming annoying and there isn't really anything new to talk about. No, it's uh, it sounds like it's an art form, not a science. It's you you have to thread the needle based based on sales process. You can't wait too too little or too long. That's fair. Yeah, exactly. Days, got it. Um, I'm glad you brought that up as a tip. If I and my team we want to start selling into the C-suite ourselves, or I know my clients do, and I haven't built that muscle group yet. Any other tips or tricks? Uh, were there any bruises or bumps that you experienced that we can help other partners potentially avoid themselves? Any any other recommendations to make this happen? Yeah, so um, we talked about re-engage and we talked about referrals, you know, and we talked about doing all of your legwork on the front end to make sure you're even targeting the right people. Yep. Um, all of those are, are critical to any kind of program of this nature to be successful. The other thing that we often do for our clients and, and we also do it for ourselves at Market Launcher is we will look at um, key players within a company that you've done business with before who have left and gone on to other companies mm. and are in a decision-making role at a company that also meets that same client profile. So being very proactive about finding those individuals there again is, uh, you know, when we talk about exponential increase in conversion metrics, um, we call it fans and, and, you know, for us, it's, it's exactly what it sounds like, but it's also an acronym. It means mm. former account, new success. So anybody you've had a, a, a relationship in the past with a company where you've got a good story to tell, and then they've gone on to another company where you can come in and remind them of that story and start to, um, you know, engage and, and rebuild that relationship. There's tremendous opportunity there. And I'm shocked at how many salespeople don't proactively make an attempt to keep sort of a running list of people that they want to follow to the next organization. Yeah. And a lot of times those people are moving up as well. You know, they're leaving sure. one organization and going to another because it's a higher level position. Right. So it's a great opportunity to just keep working your way up the food chain at a broader scope of accounts. Yeah, I love that. I love how it's an acronym, but it also represents exa exactly what it means. Um, how, do you how do you track that? How do you track the mobility? Yeah, so... Um, we, every time someone leaves a client account, you know, they get flagged. <laughs> yep, so yep. we've got researchers who they're like, okay, LinkedIn profile, that's the fastest way to find out where they ended up. Gotcha. Uh, and, and so in real time, you know, a lot of times we're just, we're using LinkedIn as a way to see the, see where they ended up and yeah. follow that progression. Uh, but then sometimes we'll have a backlog. Um, and we'll have researchers on our team where we'll give them a backlog. These are contacts who have left client companies. Go find out where they are. I get and you. so it's not hard to do. It's just legwork. You know, it's just putting in the time. Um, I, I mean, it, I'm surprised more don't do it or those that do do it don't share that they do it enough because it seems like a, a pretty easy win. Is it 
Well, because I would imagine you still have to fill your pipeline with new opportunities and new leads and new prospects. But like how how big of the pie is the the fans for just like the the revenue for market launcher? Is it does it represent a significant piece? Is it more marginal and, and supplemental? I mean, where does it where does it fall? Yeah, so I'll tell you. So I think a lot of people think they're doing it, and they're just not doing it systematically enough. So sure. I, you know, I think people say, "Oh yeah, no, I'm keeping track of the people I have relationships with." But it, it, it's if it's not systematic and you're not putting like metrics behind it, you're not really doing anywhere near as much as you think you are. Mm. So for Market Launcher, uh, it's about sixty percent of wow. our client base wow. comes from that fan base and. The reason for that is because we realized about three years ago, we did some analysis on all of our different sources and, and realized, oh, that's about 30% of the new business that we brought in last year came from people who had worked with us before. How interesting. That was just so organically, just, the like that's what came up just through the analysis. Organically, that's where it fell. Gotcha. Exa- yeah. They were just, you know, happened to remember us and called us up and yeah. said, 30%, that's pretty significant. So we um, decided what would happen if we put a program around that. And so that's we took that backlog and gave them to a research and find out where all these people are. Um, we created a deal pipeline so that we could sort of keep track of of who was moving through the system. Um, we started making sure that they were getting receiving all of our content by email. So we were kind of keeping that dialogue going. And then we put a our director of business development. That's a significant part of where she spends her time is really doing that outreach. Every time we come up with some, you know, new piece of content that she thinks is really relevant to a certain subsegment, she'll actually email them, call them, say, hey, we've got a new white paper. I want to make sure you got it. I'm sure marketing sent it to you, but I'm calling to make sure that you get this Love because that. I think it's really relevant to what you're doing. So we put this, you know, really hyper-focused effort on it. And the following year, 60% of the yeah. new business that we brought That's in came, yeah. came from our fan base. And so you know, today, it's, it's actually 60% of our total revenue. So that gives you a sense of how much that has increased dramatically. Yeah, it's impressive. And it, to your point, it's all about doing it systematically. Separate deal pipeline, separate nurturing flows, uh, direct outreach. Um, you exactly. mentioned that sometimes a piece of content would be relevant to a sub like a uh, um, a subset of that group are there like is there more granular personas or sections of the what you use fan base like how do you organize them beyond just former account um yeah so we'll look at it by industry segments i mean we do a lot of work in software we do a lot of work in the healthcare and 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 um you know life sciences space um and so we'll for example if we know we've got um, there, there's a lot of medical device companies and, and medical technology companies where it's a race to market right now. And so mm-hmm. we know that that's what all those companies are thinking about. And so if we come out with a piece of content that we know speaks to that, then, you know, we'll carve out that segment and say, okay, every, every um, client that, or potential client that we're targeting right now that's in that space, let's make sure this piece of content gets in front of them. And then let's follow that up with proactive outreach to tell them why we sent it to them. Yep. And and really reference the fact that we're aware that there's this race to market right now in some key areas. It's a great tip. It sounds like in segmentation by industry, but then the direct follow-up is also contextualized, contextualized around what is unique about, you know, what they're trying to do, the race to the, the go-to-market to your point. Have you... Exactly. Have you ever had, have one of the fans ever been somebody that you wouldn't have classified as like the best relationship in their previous role, but they turned around and still became uh, a fan or they started doing business with you in their new role? Like, is it always the best relationships that move on and turn into fans or have there been not so great relationships as well? 
Yeah, that's really interesting that you asked that question because, yeah, I, I'll, I'll be surprised sometimes. Um, you know, we've had programs that, that maybe didn't go as well. You know, maybe the, the client was too early to market and, but the person who was heading up that program leaves, goes to another company and then calls us up and we go, Oh, <laughs> he was impressed with us. We just, yeah. <laughs> the program just didn't get the outcome that any of us were hoping for. Um, so we definitely see that. Um, we get, uh, you know, salespeople that uh, we are not working with directly, but who are the benefactors of our efforts. Um, and we may have, you know, been unaware even of, you know, how integrated they might have been into the process. We'll go on to a higher level, you know, head of sales position at yeah. another company and bring us in. And those are always, you know, pleasant surprises, but also, again, reinforces the idea that you've got to, you've got to maintain that fan base and make sure that you're continuing to educate and, and keep generating that top of mind awareness because you just never know where the next opportunity might come from. Yeah, that's so true. And even if the results aren't there, you can't be out here burning bridges. You have to keep the fan base alive, right? <laughs> yeah. And we're always, we always, you know, I get asked a lot when we're prospecting and, and engaging with a potential new client, they'll say, well, tell me about all the times when it didn't go the way that you thought it was going to. And one of the things that we always talk about is, look, if it doesn't, we're going to have so much data to try and unpack why that happened. You know, this isn't something where we're just tossing leads over the fence. Like we're very tightly integrated with the sales and marketing parts of the organization. And so we're looking at the data to try to understand, are you targeting the right people? Mm -hmm. Do you have the right message? Is there an appetite for your offering? And so we're sharing all of that data. So in cases where the program doesn't get the outcome that we were expecting, you know, we've still been able to establish some value and provided information that they wouldn't have had otherwise. Yeah. Uh, and that must resonate really well when they ask that question, like that type of approach or that answer. Um, we're just about out of time here. So I have uh, one final question for you. We end every episode with this question. Um, what would you say is the weirdest part of agency life? <laughs> um, well, I, you know, we, I was going to say something about suddenly everyone being remote. Yeah. Um, we've always been remote. You know, we, we, started the firm 20 years ago and have been doing this remote thing for two decades. Oh, wow. But suddenly all of our clients are, are remote as well. And I have seen a lot of unmade beds. Yeah. I mean, the <laughs> rule of thumb feels like the rule of thumb is that you got to make your bed if you're, if you're dialing in from your bedroom. Right. But that's not the case. You'd be you surprised. Yeah. You would be really surprised. I can't tell you how many unmade beds I have seen in the last 12 months. Well, that might be the, the most impactful tip or trick right there is people on Zoom should be Make your making their beds. Yeah. Um, well, Laura, thank you so much for, for joining us, for dialing in. Um, this has been super insightful. So I appreciate you sharing uh, all your experiences and all your stories. Um, but I think that's it. I think we're, uh, we're just about done here. All right. Sounds great. Well, again, thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. And um, I'll see you soon. Yes, make your beds. Awesome. Yes, make your beds. And uh, for everyone tuning in, this has been another episode of Agency Unfiltered.